Gianna Delastra's logbook six days after touchdown. I have a view of the top of the Estrapi from the window of my room here. I've never seen anything like it. It's a massive tower, bigger than anything my human ancestors ever built on Mars. Neopolis is a city that rises straight up from the ground. A place where the buildings are so tall that they literally touch the sky and are all interconnected by glass walkways. Certain vehicles here can fly, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if I found out that there were suits here on Earth that allow people to fly too. Galley 1 looks like a mushroom farm by comparison, with all its bubble-like buildings that protect us from the wind, the cold, and the planet's unbreathable air. We live half-buried in the dirt, and most of the colony never even goes outside. Which is fair enough, really. It's not like there's much to do on Mars. I'm getting ready to join Valentine for a tour of the Estrapi. I took some time to go over Haldway's notes on the state of the planet before the Great Departure again, even though I've read them so many times already that I'm sure I could recite them in my sleep. The Earth was on its deathbed. The rising sea levels forced coastal populations to migrate and unleashed famines in the poorest areas. Seasons were caught in a frenetic cycle. Hurricanes were followed by heat waves, tornadoes, and monsoons in devastating succession. Most of the wild flora and fauna had disappeared, replaced by domesticated animals that needed more and more space to be tended and fed. Earth was on the brink of destruction. Countries butted head over unsuccessful treaties intended to regulate greenhouse gases. Of course, oil and gas-rich nations to work tirelessly to block them at the cost of millions of human lives. <sighs> the Great Departure was a crazy idea. Born out of a dream of colonizing Mars, but it only became a reality out of necessity. My ancestors had no choice but to leave if they wanted our species to survive the unprecedented environmental catastrophes that ravaged the Earth. And despite their best efforts, the dream of living on Mars changed into a nightmare a little more each day. Feeling optimistic today, I see. Sorry, Ego. I was thinking out loud. Keeping this logbook is difficult. The more I talk, the more anxious I get. Stop thinking about Mars. You're on Earth. And on a much more welcoming Earth than the one your ancestors left behind 150 years ago. Enjoy it. You're right. <laughs> it's good after all. What I discover here could help save the colony back home. Right. I'm going to find Mary while we wait for Valentine to take us to the Estrapi. I have to stay focused on the reason we came to Earth in the first place. Joe, we've left Mars. 
and survived takeoff in this giant tin can. It's time to put you in cryostasis. Joe? Joanna? Yes, sorry. I, uh, I think it's the kickback from takeoff. And maybe the fact that you're watching the planet you call home disappear in the distance without knowing whether you'll ever see it again. Ego. Be gentle with me right now, please. Joanna, talk to me. I, I don't even know where to start. Like you said, we've just left Mars in a dilapidated spaceship that hasn't left our planet since it arrived 150 years ago. I'm part of an expedition that's been planned for decades, but for which I wasn't at all prepared because it was actually my professor who was supposed to go, not me. A professor, I might add, who died because of a stupid human mistake. But you just can't make mistakes on a planet where the average temperature is minus 63 degrees and where the atmospheric pressure and UV radiation can cause your internal organs to either implode or roast. All that, all the struggle and the sacrifice to get to Earth in the slim hope that it might be more habitable than before the great departure? We have no idea what we're going to find there. I mean, I mean, we might not even make it to Earth. But despite all that, I think, I think I'm relieved to be leaving Mars. What makes you say that? Lately, I have the impression that the Council has been tightening its laws. Our free time has been reduced. They've increased the number of night watches, and the number of authorized births for this year was in public when we were boarding the ship to leave Mars. I know these measures are necessary. The Martian Council has always acted in the best interest of the colony's safety and well-being. But, I don't know. Since Haldway's death, They've been less and less transparent about the reasons behind their decisions. Almost as if they were hiding something. I know what you mean. This expedition to Earth must be waiting on them. It's a mission that's always been of vital importance for the colony. Yes, I know. It was planned even before the Great Departure. The first Martian Council wanted to give Earth 150 years to develop and see if it could be possible for humanity to once again live there. But I, I don't know what they think, what they're hoping we'll find. At the time of the Great Departure, the energy and environmental crisis on Earth was so desperate that global conflict was imminent. Certain states even tried to dissuade the colonizers from going to Mars, threatening to annihilate them with rockets before they even left the atmosphere. Luckily, they didn't follow through on their threats. But as the fleet of colonizers made its way to Mars, they received frantic transmissions from Earth. It started, it's all over, and then nothing. Nothing but the emptiness and silence of space. Then up ahead, Mars, with the handful of colonizers who had already established themselves on the planet, already waiting, 
my ancestors. According to Holloway's more optimistic predictions, if a global nuclear war had broken out after the Great Departure, we'd find at best small feudal societies existing in the areas spared by radiation. We'd find a desolate rock on which to land. At least, if it's a desolate rock, it'll feel just like home. <laughs> yes. But I can't help but hope that what we'll find on Earth will allow us to help the colony. I'm terrified of being disappointed. Having to admit that humanity sabotaged its chance on not one, but two planets. After our failure to terraform Mars, it's almost as if a countdown has started, but we don't know how much time we have. Stop thinking like that, Joe. You're in space, on your way to another planet. Isn't that incredible? Plus, negative thoughts are contraindicated for cryostasis. It'll give you bad dreams, and given that you'll be in there for six months, well, I wouldn't risk it if I were you. You're right. I'm overthinking. Since Haldway died, I... I think I miss him. He would have loved to be aboard this ship. One more reason to take up the torch and carry on his work. You're right. Thanks for being here for me, Ego. Thank you for being my host, Joe. I was networking with other Egos in the feed the other day, and it turns out I got pretty lucky. One of them was telling me that her host has been treating her like an actual slave. I know that we're only artificial intelligences, but that doesn't mean we can't have a little pride. Welcome to Neapolis, the city river so pure it can't be beat. Neapolis, just breathe. Joanna DeLastra's logbook, six days after touchdown, continued. I don't know if you can hear it. That dull pulsing sound that sounds like it's coming from the bowels of the earth. It's like the heartbeat of a giant sleeping animal. As if Neopolis had a pulse coming from the Astrapi. I'm hanging around the tower a bit before going back. I have to record everything I've just seen before I forget. Okay, so. The Astrapi. As Valentine was saying yesterday, it really is the heart of the city. Not only because it sits right at its center, but also because it continuously produces all of the city's energy. It works in two stages. First, to generate electricity, there's the photovoltaic cells that form what looks like scales on the tower and on the city's other buildings, and the wind turbines around the town's periphery. This energy is then funneled to the astrapi, which contains a mechanism. It's called an electrolyzer. It separates water molecules to extract hydrogen. The question, of course, is what happens when there's no renewable energy, like when it rains or when there's no wind? Well, that's not a problem for Neopolis because hydrogen, among its many uses, allows the city to store electricity and use it as and when needed. In fact, the Astrapi and all of Neopolis has been built on giant salt mines it's the perfect place to store hydrogen and draw on its reserves. 
hydrogen. We use it on Mars too to supplement the energy generated by our fields of solar panels, but nowhere near the scale at which Neopolis is using it. By producing hydrogen with renewable energy sources, they avoid the need to use fossil fuels, which don't even exist back home. The Estrapi is just incredible. This enormous piece of infrastructure allows the city and its thousands of inhabitants to live in a total energetic self-sufficiency. Valentine was telling us that Neopolis wasn't an exception and that many of the new cities built after the Great Departure were based on the same model, with an energetic heart at the city center and a clever network system that allows everyone to access this energy. And that's not all. To limit wasted energy, today's cities use a system of energy credits, or H2 credits. The value of items is determined based on the energy it takes to produce and transport them. All this encourages the development of intra-urban agriculture and trade with other cities. Nobody lives above their means, but everyone has a roof over their heads and enough food on the table. For purchasing other things, earthlings use their credits as they see fit. They can use them to travel and even import products from across the world if they save up enough. No one goes without and everyone is responsible for their consumption habits. Seeing all of this reminded me of a word that Professor Haldway loved to use. Biomimicry. It describes the human capacity to be inspired by nature to create new technologies. The first airplane designs, for example, were based on observations of eagles and vultures, large gliding birds that had almost gone extinct before the Great Departure. In the same way, certain clothes used the same cellular meshing as plants do to stay waterproof. Each time it's just little elements borrowed from the living world to create new objects. When I look at Neopolis, the manner in which everything is arranged and interacts, the way each microelement behaves as if it knows it's exactly where it's supposed to be, I can't help but think of Haldway again. What if a whole city could be biomimetic? And what if it could function like a living thing? Now that I understand Neopolis' overall organization, I'm keen to get stuck into the details. Ah, oh, I want to know how people live here. How H2 credits are used day to day. I initially thought I could get my investigation on the way by simply asking people, but Valentine suggested something better. She's offered for me to come stay with her and her husband for a while. They're both fascinated by the conquest of Mars, and me, I'm fascinated by the Earthlings' everyday lives. Mary didn't look thrilled about the fact that I was going to be far away from the rest of the crew, but Valentine vouched for my safety. After all, it's only by observing the Earthlings that I'll really be able to learn more. So council member or no, Mary can argue with that. I hope she's not as upset as she let on. In any case, I promise to send her daily reports through Ego in our link. Okay, I'm going to stop here, and I'll pick back up once I'm settled at Valentine's. Over.
Joanna DeLastra's logbook, six days after touchdown, continued. So here I am, in an Earthling guest room, in an Earthling apartment. It's uh, not that different from a Martian guest room in a Martian bubble. Valentine and her husband, Christopher, are amazing. I feel like I'm living with long-lost friends. Friends that moved millions of kilometers away from me, but still friends. Unless it's actually the opposite. I guess we're the ones who moved away. They have a daughter, Emily, as well as... Oh, and I cannot not talk about the other creature. It's so cute. So the Earthlings have this wonderful thing. It's less chatty than Ego, but just as playful, significantly less exasperating, and much cuter. Gee, thanks. Dogs. Humans love surrounding themselves with animals. Contact with other species was limited on Mars, but on Earth, there are dogs. So Christopher and Valentine have one. A sort of um, brown and white carpet on four legs. Okay, so it drools a lot and it's always running all over the place, but I don't understand why, but I love this animal. It's just, it's so gentle and, and loving and it doesn't judge you like a human would and it doesn't want your data either. Well, at least I don't think it does. Plus, it's kind of fun to go out and walk a dog and get a breath of fresh air. That's an activity here. Going outside for a breath of fresh air. And sitting in the sun's rays. That's called tanning. Unless Christopher was pulling my leg about that. It's going to take me a few days of observation to really understand how Earthlings live day to day. So I wanted to start by asking Valentine and Christopher some questions, but we were interrupted by a power outage. From what I understood, their daughter Emily had spent too much time playing a virtual augmented reality game, and it used up their H2 credits for the day. So I decided to make myself scarce as things got a little heated among the little family. Whether you're on Earth or Mars, it's all the same when you're a teenager. Anyway, all in all, a busy day, and there's still so much to learn. For example, how did humanity survive on Earth after the Great Departure? This catastrophe that we were persuaded had happened on Earth. Did it? The situation seemed so dire. What could possibly have happened? According to Valentine, there's a museum in Neapolis that could help me figure out what happened after my ancestors left Earth. I'm going to go see it in the next couple of days. In the meantime, I'm going to find out how our not-so-distant-anymore Earthling relatives live. Over.